I'm Gerhard Lazi, and you're listening to ShipIt.show, a podcast about ops, infrastructure, and cool walls. Tamer Saleh, founder of Superorbital, a tiny team of exceptional Kubernetes engineers and teachers, is joining me today to talk about what is cool in the cloud-native world. We also cover two great blog posts, Zero to GitOps, Terraform and AWS EKS Blueprints project by Sean Kane, and Hunting Down an Intermittent Failure in Cilium by James McShane. We wrap up with a cool wall of cloud native. Big thanks to our partners Fastly and Fly. This MP3 is served with minimal latency from the Fastly Edge location, which is closest to you. Our app and database run on fly.io because it keeps things simple. Our CI runtime also runs on fly.io. Pull request 416 has more details. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb. Find your most perplexing application issues. Honeycomb is a fast analysis tool that reveals the truth about every aspect of your application in production. Find out how users experience your code in complex and unpredictable environments. Find patterns and outliers across billions of rows of data and definitively solve your problems. And we use Honeycomb here at Changelove. That's why we welcome the opportunity to add them as one of our infrastructure partners. In particular, we use Honeycomb to track down CDN issues recently, which we talked about at length on the Kaizen edition of the Ship It podcast. So check that out. Here's the thing. Teams who don't use Honeycomb are forced to find the needle in the haystack. They scroll through endless dashboards playing whack-a-mole. They deal with alert floods, trying to guess which one matters. And they go from tool to tool to tool playing sleuth, trying to figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together. It's this context switching and tool sprawl that are slowly killing teams' effectiveness and ultimately hindering their business. With Honeycomb, you get a fast, unified, and clear understanding of the one thing driving your business, production. With Honeycomb, you guess less and you know more. Join the swarm and try Honeycomb free today at honeycomb.io slash changelog. Again, honeycomb.io slash changelog. We are going to ship in three, two, one... So episode 51 is the last one when we had Tamar on, actually the first one as well for Tamar, we were talking whether Kubernetes is a platform. And one of the f- people that enjoyed it the most was Jared. And he said, hey, Gerhard, you have to get Tamar back. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally bribed him for that. That's uh, That was my fault. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now this week, it's Jared's birthday. I won't tell you which day, uh, but it's a big one. So Jared, birthday surprise, Tamar's back. <laughs> It's like the worst birthday present ever. <laughs> just so happened. Well, not if you enjoy it. <laughs> Jared just enjoys this conversation. So let's make the best of it. Uh, again, back of our minds. Uh, it's for Jared's birthday. So here it comes. <laughs> happy birthday, Jared. Yes, happy birthday. I still have to send the tweet out. Okay, it's in a draft. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> so Tamar, what is new with you? It's been seven, eight months. What is new and what is good? 
Uh, a lot of things are new and good. I mean, we've, from our business point of view, things have been just going wonderfully, which is, <laughs> fingers crossed, knock on wood, we were very worried about the economic downturn, but we haven't seen any signs of it. So that's been great. And also uh, just watching some of the technologies that have been evolving in the you know, cloud native ecosystem has been a lot of fun as well. I mean, um, one of the things that, uh, a lot of our engineers are really excited about, for example, is SigStore and the, the work that's been going on there. A lot of activity there. It's been a, very interesting. <laughs> In terms of what technologies I'm still uh, very excited about, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I think I'm a, a bit of an outlier because for me, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the cloud native world, but the two technologies that I tend to get most excited about are actually the eBPF stuff, all, all the different tools that are focusing on eBPF mm -hmm. and Wasm, which is almost like a non-cloud native thing to say, right? It's almost like, oh, we don't talk about Wasm in Kubernetes because it's, you know, not really containers and such. But, but those two technologies have a lot of potential to, to open up a lot of, a lot of interesting, you know, doors, a lot, a lot of different directions that both those technologies can go. Right. So it's very interesting that you mentioned those two technologies because in the recording schedule, I mean, you're listening to this, I think at least a month before, like a month after it was recorded. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow, uh, Liz Rice and Thomas Graf, eBPF. Oh, really? That's what's happening tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it will be all about eBPF. So bang on the money. <laughs> Thank you for confirming that. <laughs> And uh, Wasm, it's really interesting. It's it's the second time, and I hear it in this in in two weeks. And the last person I heard it from was like the last episode which was recorded. No, the one before that. Anyways, a recent episode. You wouldn't believe it, Gary Bernhard and Wasm. What the really? two have in common? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm I, I want to make it very clear. The fact that I'm excited about these technologies is not necessarily an indicator that they're going to be successful. I have a horrible track record of identifying <laughs> successful yeah. products. I was, uh, I remember uh, this company came by uh, and was searching for developers when they were very small. I think they were searching for like their 10 to 20 next developers, right? So they were like 10 to 20 people big. And I was talking to somebody, I'm like, what, what are they even talking about? Like, it's a blogging platform, but it's only 140 characters. There's no way that's going to go anywhere. This is a terrible idea, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I, I have not been very good at identifying <laughs> great technology. I, I like to think about Nix, for example. You know Nix OS, Nix? Like, oh, it's yes. a very interesting, very cool idea, right? With some fatal flaws, unfortunately, but... But it, it does so much interesting stuff, um, and it changes the whole game. And I like to think about how Nix is, it's kind of like 1950s sci-fi authors. Like, I'm, I'm rereading Foundation, right? And their vision of the future was mm -hmm. adorable, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I could see how this would work. Like, spaceships without computers, and you would actually manually align the stars and navigate that way, right? It's kind of cute. But you could totally see how that future could have been a reality. Yep. And to me, things like Nix fit into there. If Nix had won, arguably, Docker never would have existed, at least in terms of like an image format, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, eBPF, Wasm, I think they're fantastic. Maybe that means you should not buy their stock, you know? <laughs> I, think, I think that while Twitter 
is a great story right now in hindsight and in retrospect, because that's what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, Twitter, Tamer not identifying Twitter, yeah, and not joining, <laughs> uh, like as engineer number eight or nine. Yeah. yeah, I saw the demise of Twitter decades ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It was never going to catch on, and even now, no, no, no. Uh, I, think, I think you're getting better at it, and let me tell you why. So after we had our conversation, episode 31, you mentioned Nix in that one. You mentioned Nix3.dev. Off of that, I talked to Vincent. We have the Nix3.dev episode. Vincent Ambo from TVL. I switched my Linux workstation to NixOS. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Homebrew, it didn't make it to my new Mac. It was Nix. I actually have that as a to-do item on my list to get rid of Homebrew and move over to Nix for my local development experience. Oh, yes. On a Mac. Again, that's just like, you know, so yes, on a Mac. Exactly. Now, that was good. I mean, there's like some weird issues around, for example, I always have to reinstall it for some reason whenever I reboot. So just basically don't reboot your Mac. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> Anyways. Small issues. I mean, yeah, it's fine. Small you know? issue. It's okay. So if you reboot your Mac, you have to reinstall for everything to start working again. I'm definitely doing something wrong. But on Linux, I've been loving it. Fanless AMD Ryzen 7, I think, yeah. 30, 5900, 5900, 16 cores, all NixOS, really, really nice experience. Everything is declarative. I love that world. So you're, again, right on the money with that. Based on some recent conversations, you know, WASM and eBPF, I think you may be right there again. Don't buy their <laughs> stock, for sure. Not that they have any stock, but, right. you know, <laughs> just to be clear. I think Nix... Like I said, I think it's got some amazing things. I think if you're if you're all in on Nix and you're you're committed to learning the oh, what's the name of the Nix language, the Nix configuration language, something like that. It's a Nix language. Yeah. 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 Then I think it, it can be really successful. The problem is that Nix is a great solution for a personal dev. It's a great personal choice as a developer, right? It's a bad solution for a wider team. Right. If you got a team of like three to five and you're all you all agree, sure, we're we're gonna go heads down into this Nix thing and, and we're gonna reap a bunch of benefits from it. That's okay. But I've talked to teams of larger, like hundred to thousand person companies that have tried to adopt Nix across the board. Mm. And it's just too esoteric, it's too opaque, it's too hard for I mean, I don't wanna say the average developer to use, right? I can see that. I can really see that. Like still some things which I struggle and it's like some things are way too hard. And uh, I'm still waiting for my next session with Vincent, just like to figure out what am I going to do next? Because it's so complicated. <laughs> yeah, would you, would, would you need to reach out to the founder in order to debug your own system? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a good sign. Yeah, I'm very curious uh, to hear how uh, Mitchell Hashimoto does it, because I know he's uh, all in on XOS for development. I did not know that. That's interesting. Seriously. Yeah. But it, it, but this this actually kind of proves the point. He is exactly the type of developer. And now he, now we can say that. He's just a developer, yeah. right? Yes. He is exactly the type of developer that would reap a lot of benefits from Nix. He just decides to go all in on that. And, and that's great, you know? Yeah. I come from an operations background primarily. And so... As an ops person, like, in, especially in the olden days, you used to use, like, legacy VI instead of Vim mm -hmm. because you couldn't be confident that the workstation that you were, the, the machine you were SSHing into had Vim, mm -hmm. right? And you certainly wouldn't use, like, a highly tweaked environment. 
So Nix, I think Nix is a great solution for uh, application developers who, like I said, want to go full in on that and maybe even DevOps. I'm really interested to hear about any company that goes with Nix in production. Like, I think that would be very, I, I, I don't know of any, I'm sure they exist. And I'd love to talk to anybody who's done that just to get their war stories and to see how it works. Because I think Nix in production is a very interesting story. This is one for the listeners. This is one for you listening to this. If you know anyone, reach out. <laughs> yes, please. Very, very interested to tell that story. Okay. Switching gears, back to Kubernetes. Do you think that it still needs a platform? Because that's what you were trying to answer in episode 51. Is Kubernetes a platform? And if you think it still needs a platform, have you tried any and anything good out there that works as a platform? I do still think that Kubernetes needs a platform even more than I felt that way before. I think I see a bunch of interesting platform services out there. So I saw the changelog, I think you, or you, yeah. you all migrated to fly.io, right? That's right. And that's the one that's got all of the marketing attention right now. You go on Hacker News, everybody's talking about fly.io. Mm. I apologize to the, the people at Fly. We tried Fly for one of our internal products. We had a not a great experience with it, right? And we actually- No, hang on, hang on, hang on. You have to tell us more about that. That's too interesting. I can't pass on that. All right. If we took five minutes for next, we could definitely take five minutes for this. Go on then. Uh, okay. Well, it's not going to be five minutes because there's not that much detail. I wasn't the primary developer, but I, I was pairing on the software with the, the main developer. And the problems we saw with Fly was, was mostly around polish. The documentation was fairly poor and sometimes out of date and misleading. And how you accomplished what we thought of as fairly normal things was a little bit more complicated. This is coming from a Heroku world because the, the primary developer on this Rails application was, well, Rails developer. They're used to Heroku, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that over time, Fly is going to get better. From what I've seen, Render, render.io is... The one that nobody talks about, but seems to be a much better experience. If we were going to do it again, we would do it with Render. While I'm giving shout outs to great user experience, there's a tool called Doppler for secrets management. Mm -hmm. I actually reached out to the founders of Doppler because their user experience, the, the, just the flow of using Doppler, they really nail it, right? So if you're interested in secrets management for you know, small to medium-sized teams, you should really check that out. Okay. And it kind of fits into the, the platform space because it's you know, managing your secrets across environments and all that. But the thing is, both Fly and Render, they've got great mission statements. They're really interesting tools. They're not built on Kubernetes, and they have no intention from what I've seen of going on-premise, right? So that still doesn't solve the main problem for most of the teams that we work with. There are other options like Humanitech is the big one. I just talked to the founders of Mia just earlier this morning, which is a European competitor to... Sebastian. Yeah. And obviously there's like Backstage, which is the open source. And there's a, there's a service for Backstage as well. But none of them are winning right now. I mean, none of them are gaining any significant market share from what we've seen on the ground. Their biggest competitor is still very expensive internal platform teams. So we're still seeing a lot of companies running like four-person internal platform teams that their customers are the, are the application developers and they're stringing together all this GitOps stuff into Argo with Kubernetes and 
uh, maybe with like a golden helm chart or something. And, and don't get me wrong, like that kind of works, you know, it's table stakes for using Kubernetes as an application developer. But there's so much more potential, mm-hmm. especially with things like SigStore now getting so much attention. It's such an exciting technology. Having to string that into your internal platform is hugely painful. I mean, I think a lot of these teams are starting to realize that building an internal platform for their development team is not the same as maintaining it. So you, you might think, oh, we'll throw together a platform team, we'll put four people together, they'll build this thing, and then we can devolve that team and you know, move them onto other projects. No, that team is going to stay, if not grow, because your platform has to evolve with the fast-moving cloud-native landscape. It's just a thing. And so I think that there's a lot of potential for a platform. And by the way, as a little sidebar, platform doesn't mean dashboard. I've seen a lot of products out there that just give a UI exposing Kubernetes API primitives. That's, that's not useful. That's, that's not a platform. That's just point and click because I'm afraid to use the command line. And, and every dev that I know who uses Kubernetes would rather use some command line tool, right? Even if it's K9S, they'd rather use some command line tool for that. Yep. The platform is about integrating everything together and giving a smooth developer experience. It has to be tied to the developer workflow, but has to have some sort of opinions. That's tricky though, because as we've seen, I mean, you and I worked together at Cloud Foundry yeah. uh, and Cloud Foundry lost the, the battle against Kubernetes, the, the battle for the platforms, even though it had such a head start. And I think a lot of the reason it lost was because it had too many opinions, right? It, it, it had too many ideas of how you should be developing software. And it didn't allow for outliers, right? It didn't allow you to step outside those bounds when you truly needed to. Our answer was pretty terrible for that. And in reality, devs want to tweak, right? They want to believe their problem is unique, that they have a hard problem uh, that can only be solved in a special way. And so a platform on Kubernetes needs to be able to thread that needle. And part of that is the ability to break glass in case of emergency. You have to be able to give the developers access to the API. You have to be able to give the developers a chance to, to go outside the bounds of the platform, but the platform still needs to make it as easy as possible to do the right thing. I'm really glad that you mentioned Cloud Foundry because for me as well, that experience, just like the getting started, uh, the zero to one sort of thing was really nice. I mean, you had the services, you could bind things, the secrets would be there. Like, it was working, the routing was interesting, the build packs was really, really nice. And then once you were there, things started getting a bit complicated. I think that's where the opinions started to show. Yeah, there was growing pains. Yeah, exactly what people wanted to do versus what was possible. And some opinions were so not strongly held, but like strongly implemented, it was very difficult to change course from the defaults. I always felt like that was the case. So I remember thinking, I was looking at Concourse and I was thinking, wow, Concourse, just the way it orchestrates things, like the way things happen and the way scaling happens in Concourse for the jobs and the inputs and the outputs and the long running thing, I was thinking, wow, this is very similar to what happens, all the orchestration that happens within Cloud Foundry, because there's like a lot of orchestration, like the really hard stuff. Kubernetes scheduling, I mean, it is a hard problem, but it does it easily. And I think it's better scheduling stateful things as well. 
Like, okay, again, I still think you wouldn't recommend running databases in Kubernetes. Yeah, I, I, I listened to Kelsey on your on your previous episode. In fact, I've used that in our in our workshops when we talk about running stateful sets on Kubernetes. But you can. I mean, and we did. <laughs> it wasn't great, but it worked. Now, doing the same with Cloud Foundry, I don't think it was possible. And then I was starting like to see those similarities between what Bosch was doing. It was the tool that was like laying down everything, paving, repaving, just basically managing all the infrastructure, all the software that was running. And it had some great things. But again, I was starting to see those commonalities between Bosch, Cloud Foundry, and to some extent, Concourse. And then Kubernetes came along and it just like changed everything. And I don't think anyone was expecting that very, very quickly as well. I was like a sweeping tie that, you know, took everything. Um, that was a very interesting one. Now, one of the recent blog posts on Superorbital, I think you're calling it the journal, a zero to GitOps uh, by Sean Kane. Yep. Flipping the bits on the internet since I was eight. You can go and check the blog post <laughs> since I was eight. Me, Gerhard, was eight, <laughs> just to make it clear. Uh, so that you could go and check it out to see how long has Sean been flipping bits. It has a quick start repository, basic walkthrough in the article. It's looking really good. I mean, you can get a lot done on EKS, AWS EKS, with Argo CD, with Terraform, which is interesting, but you're only using Terraform to bootstrap things. Yes. Again, there's a repo, everything's there. I think there's something there. Now, Marcos and Joel, if you're listening, check this out. Three Terraform modules to go from a potentially <laughs> empty AWS account to an EKS cluster that contains some core Kubernetes software uh, and can be targeted by an existing CI/CD pipeline. I think there's something there. And and just to, I don't I don't want Superorbital to take too much credit for that. Uh, we did this work in conjunction with a, a client. You can read more about it on the blog post. But a lot of this was also done in conjunction with AWS because this was the brand new AWS EKS Blueprint Terraform module. And we were very impressed. I got to say, AWS has not been so impressive in most of their open source stuff, right? They've been, mm -hmm. they've been very anti-Terraform for a long time. Obviously, they've got their own competing products to, to Terraform. And they released this thing, which not only, obviously targets Terraform, but also had the right boundaries. Terraform is a, an amazing tool if you stay within its sweet spot. Terraform can do a lot more. You can manage Kubernetes resources with Terraform. Mm -hmm. You absolutely do not want to do that for a variety of reasons. You can do magic with Terraform, and I've I'm guilty of attempting to do too much magic with Terraform uh, in my code where I, you know, have it do the uh, VM provisioning and configuration and then orchestrate all this other stuff. You don't want to use Terraform as orchestration is basically the statement there. You want to use it to lay the bedrock and you want a higher orchestration layer on top of it that does the rest of the stuff. And the way that they configured the AWS EKS Blueprint module is kind of perfect where it just lays in enough Kubernetes resources into the new cluster to get you going. And then everything else is Argo GitOps, right? I always thought of Terraform as this slow convergent loop and Argo CD as being this fast one. Things happen much faster or even like the Kubernetes scheduler. Yeah. So Terraform is great in my experience at slow things, things that move slowly and there's like some state and then you commit it or you save it somewhere versus something like the Kubernetes scheduler where things happen a lot, lot quicker. 
Argo City the same way. It's a lot more reactive. I like that. I like that. That's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, Terraform, the way that Terraform is developed by HashiCorp is very different than the way that the core team develops Kubernetes. I mean, Terraform has a ton of bugs, right? I mean, let's be honest. If you, they, they had to call GitHub issue bankruptcy a while back. What was that, like three months ago where they just started saying, I'm sorry, we don't have enough engineers, <laughs> even though we doubled in size from, from what was it, 500 to 1,000. Uh, but we don't have enough engineers to deal with all the Terraform issues. So we're just going to put a pause on it. I, I can't believe they did that. It's always had so many rough edges, right? And you look at the Kubernetes core team and how they move, it's very different. I mean, no major features have come out of Kubernetes in the last, what, two years? I mean, it's a very mature product already. And part of that is because the core team has been very smart about exposing the right APIs so that third party in the cloud native landscape, like uh, other utilities can implement those more interesting features, those more innovative features on top of the platform. And the core team said, look, Kubernetes as a platform needs to focus on polish and maturity. I mean, I think release 118 was called something like the fit and finish release, right? I mean, that was a while ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they've even been removing features, sometimes a little too aggressively for my taste, like when they removed pod security policies before they had a solution. But, yeah. but they always had another solution, which was the validating emission webhooks, right? You could always do something. And so I think HashiCorp attempted to take on too much with Terraform, and they should have instead focused on just making it work correctly in all scenarios and pushed all the innovation into a plugin system or something the way that Kubernetes does. Mm. You just gave me another idea. I had it for a while, <laughs> but just gave me another one. Um, I think I want to talk to James, James Bayer. That's who we're, who I'm thinking about. I said hi to him uh, when I was talking to Rosemary and Rob from HashiCorp about Vault. Uh, but I think um, this just reminds me that there's something there there's something to look in Terraform because I know that like many people as like riddled with, you know, uh, shortcomings as it is, they have a good problem. <laughs> Lots of users <laughs> demanding fixes and demanding things. And like, you know, it's, it's just there. It's like bash <laughs> at this point, I think. <laughs> yeah. Terraform is the air you breathe. Uh, when, when we talk to clients about, you know, what kind of technologies we, we basically primarily work on, when we're talking to developers who want to join SuperOrbital, we say, Every project that we work on has some amount of Kubernetes. It mm. wouldn't make sense for a client to engage with us unless there was Kubernetes. And we wouldn't take a project that didn't have it. It doesn't, it's not, you know, aligned with our vision. But also every project has Terraform because Terraform is everywhere. It's underneath everything. It's the bedrock for everything that we do. Unless you're one of those poor souls who are using AWS. Bash. <laughs> or Bash. <laughs> <laughs> No, what's, what's the AWS competitor to Terraform again? Uh, is it CDK? No, not the CDK. That one's, that one's actually interesting. That's okay. That's, that's more like Pulumi, right? Gosh, cloud formation. Cloud formation. Oh, With chef. Yeah, it's horrible. It's so bad. And it's like this deep JSON structures. And, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Now, back to winning horses, EBPF, <laughs> and great blog posts. James McShane. Mm -hmm. Yep. Blog posts 
again, like in the last seven months since we've spoken, hunting down an intermittent failure in Cilium. I love James's blog post because James goes so deep. Mm. It's crazy. It's beautiful how deep he goes when he's debugging these things on client engagements, but also when he writes about them uh, on our blog. It's like... If you see that the blog, uh, the post is written by James, then you got to set it aside, grab half an hour to really dig into what he's doing because it's, it's fun stuff. Yeah. The thing which I like about it, it has just enough information. It's making steady progress. As I was reading it, I just wanted to read more and more and it didn't keep me waiting. So there's like always something. I loved how, he's, how it was unfolding. There's links to GitHub requests. Because damn it, I want to see the code. And uh, <laughs> right, otherwise, it's just like words. Uh, doesn't matter how amazing they are. I just want to see the code. And uh, it's it's a really good one. Like Cilium, eBPF. Uh, it's it's all there. Observability diagrams. Uh, even even for architects, you will like that. I, I think you will. Now I have a question to you, Tamer. How can readers submit fixes? Wait, wait, because wait I, hold on, hold on. What? Are you going to ask me a deep question about Cilium with I'm not your man, all right? No. <laughs> James, can you join us, please? <laughs> yeah, James, where are you? Come here, you <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to submit fixes to the blog post. Do you have them somewhere like in GitHub? Oh, man. Um, how does that work? Don't tell me WordPress. <laughs> what you're suggesting doesn't make any sense. There are no... There are no fixes to be made to our publications. I mean, they're perfect, right? They are, um, of course. But if you if you did think that you found something, uh, we don't have it open source. We should. We should open this up. Um, just you know, shoot us an email. Hello at it goes to to everyone. So okay, cool. What about dates? I'm really missing those dates on the articles. Just published. <laughs> Can you take the notepad and write it down, please? <laughs> Sean, Sean McShane, who wrote the other blog post, he just brought up the same, but she's like, why aren't there not dates on the blog post? So I'm like, ah, oh, you're right. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's just stuff to be done. Uh, let's just say it's the tyranny of success, right? We're so busy. We haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we do need to do that. I had, I had a thing on my personal blog for a while that I think is now completely broken, but I like to say this, this blog post is now so many days old, which means it's almost definitely out of date, right? I mean, come on, this is all deeply technical stuff. Even by the time we finished this Cilium issue, like James submitted pull requests, right? I mean, this thing is going to now be fixed. So yeah, yeah. But very good feedback. Thank you, Gerhard. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Always. <laughs> uh, also, last one, promise. Who's the author <laughs> for on-RAM to supply chain security? Oh, they forgot to put their self on there. Uh, that is also James McShane. All right. Yeah, that's also James McShane. So he should have uh, added the correct metadata to the preamble in the Markdown blog post. <laughs> See, we are geeks. We are geeks. See? <laughs> Great. No WordPress. Amazing. <laughs> that's what I was afraid at some point. No, no, it is. It's a static site. It's just got so much other stuff in there. Sometimes it's got, for example, workshops that we're still working on and we don't want to mention publicly yet. But that's a silly reason. We should just put it on there. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fire Hydrant. Fire Hydrant is a reliability platform for every developer 
incidents are a win, not an if situation, and they impact everyone in the organization, not just SREs. And I'm here with Robert Ross, founder and CEO of Fire Hydrant. Robert, what is it about teams getting distracted by incidents and not being able to focus on the core product that upsets you? I think that incidents bring a lot of anxiety and sometimes fear and maybe even a level of shame that can cause this paralysis in an organization from progress. And when you have the confidence to manage incidents at any scale of any variety, everyone just has this breath of fresh air that they can go build the core product even more. I don't know if anyone's had the the opportunity, maybe is the word, uh, to call the fire department. But no matter what, when the fire department shows up, it doesn't matter if the building is hugely on fire. They are calm, cool and collected because they know exactly what they're going to do. And that's what Fire Hydrant is built to help people achieve. Very cool. Thank you, Robert. If you want to operate as a calm, cool, collected team when incidents happen, you got to check out Fire Hydrant. Small teams up to 10 people can get started for free with all the features. No credit card required to sign up. Get started at firehydrant.com. Again, firehydrant.com. because we talked about six store really cool thing supply chain have you used any of the clis like bomb record james and a, and a couple of our other engineers are really deep into six store james has actually been um participating in the community meetings and things like that i'm gonna be frank myself i get very little chance nowadays to play with anything like if i can find an hour on the weekends to hack i'm i'm you know tweaking my vim config or whatnot but uh or jump on a podcast Right, or jumping on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they've played with some of the, the, the CLI stuff. I mean, we've been implementing this also for um, some of our clients. Um, it's, mm. it's very interesting stuff, right? Okay. I think I'm feeling a follow-up coming, but let's, uh, let's uh, <laughs> put a pin in that. I like that. What we could do is we could actually have James come in and mm-hmm. talk more about the supply chain stuff that we've yes. been doing. That's exactly what I'm thinking now. I'm going to do a Tamar, and you tell me if you recognize yourself. This goes many years back. <laughs> oh, God, no. Okay, you watching? <laughs> Who has two thumbs and is awesome? <laughs> <laughs> Who has two thumbs and loves being on podcasts? There we go. Exactly. <laughs> that is the second meeting. <laughs> When I've seen you lead the meeting, and I thought, this guy's crazy in all the right ways. I, I need to get out of here. <laughs> I actually taught my six-year-old daughter the two thumbs thing. She saw it in the movie. She's like, what is that? I'm like, well, do you have two thumbs, right? And then you yep. point to yourself, and you say something. And yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, do you still do that? no Gerhard it's worse now that I'm a father my jokes have gotten even more dated even worse than that I see all right I'm still going to use it so you've got my permission you got my permission thank you very much it's a Tamar special what do you see the teams that you train struggle with the most Oh, that's a good question. I mean, our workshops all focus on Kubernetes. Our, our, our most popular workshop is just the core Kubernetes workshops. Like a week long goes really deep on Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our second most is Docker. But then we've got much deeper workshops and like 
programming Kubernetes, Istio, Kubernetes in production, uh, containers demystified. So like the Linux system calls that make containers work. But for our two most popular workshops, the core Kubernetes and the Docker workshop, Kubernetes has a deep domain to it. There are so many different objects you have to understand. And I always thought that that would be the hardest thing for our students. And so when we first developed the workshop, it focused on making sure students understand what all these terms mean and all that. But that's just natural with the progression of the workshop. So the students pick this stuff up as we're delivering it. The workshop is designed to walk you through all these terms in the right order and all of that. It turns out that the students that struggle the most in our workshops are the students that come from, and I'm not saying this to be disparaging, but it's just different backgrounds. You learn different things. The students who come from Windows or Java. And the reason that they struggle the most is because they're trying to learn Kubernetes at the same time that they're also trying to learn the bash command line or what Linux processes and users are or how the kernel works with like requests and limits and things like that or just networking like what a private IP address is versus a public IP address. You know, that, that's still in Java and Windows, but, but still like there's that foundational level of knowledge that a lot of our students don't necessarily have. And so mm-hmm. we've put a lot of effort and we're still putting a lot of effort into adapting our workshops so that we teach those necessary little nuggets at the same time that we're teaching the Kubernetes content. And our students have really enjoyed that. We've gotten really good feedback from that because they feel that they're learning so much packed into that one week. I also, though, I mean, I got to be honest with you, I kind of feel like it's an indication of the bit of a step backwards that happened with Docker and Kubernetes, right? I mean, Docker in particular was a huge benefit to the development community because it allowed us to package up our software in a very repeatable way, right? To deliver that one package of software. It's like what Java did with jars and wars, but applied to any runtime, right? We all know this. But at the same time, crafting a Docker file, like really as an application developer, I need to know the esoteric command line flags to apt get install. And I need to understand like, you used to have to remove the uh, apt get cache in between layers in order to create, I mean, yep. the stuff you have to do, you're, you're, it's making every developer a DevOp, right? And that is just reflected in the fact that we require our students to understand what, you know, how to work with Bash, what Linux is, how the kernel works, how networking works, all that stuff is, so in many ways, Kubernetes and Docker are just thin wrappers over that stuff. And they should be, I can't, I, you know, we're just getting right back to the platform conversation. There should be a higher level abstraction. Developers should not have to be completely full stack all the way from front end down to operations. That is too much to ask. Yeah. So what do you think that would look like? Like, I think build packs were going in that direction in that you didn't need to know how to package your code in the context of Cloud Foundry. That would just happen behind the scenes. I know that build packs are still around. I don't know who's using them in the context of Kubernetes, but I know they're there. Yeah. Is it build packs? Is it something else? What do you think? It's a great question. I feel like build packs were the wrong way to abstract things. I think build packs were exactly what you were describing earlier. They were an example of something that works really well in the 80% case and really terribly in the 20% case. Because if you ever needed to 
go beyond what was provided in the Ruby or the Java build pack, then you needed to take some crazy steps to uh, extend that build pack. You could, maybe even as far as forking the build pack repo and using your own custom build pack, maybe using like a multi build pack and layering something. It was really bad, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that build packs have also had the the fundamental problem of not being able to apply security updates mm-hmm. transparently. So if you had, I don't know, like a remote code vulnerability in Bash, which would, I mean, that's crazy. That would never happen. Right. Uh, then you were responsible for targeting the latest version of the build pack and making sure that that was what your application's running on, which by the way, Docker has the same problem, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that build packs are still happening. They are. The open build pack project is still a thing. I don't know of anyone using it in production, but but VMware now Broadcom, I guess, is completely behind it, right? And one thing that they figured out, which I thought was really, really interesting, is that we always think of the Docker layers as being a Git-like tree, where each layer depends upon the other layer. That's actually not technically true, right? That's, mm. that's only true in how Docker uses the layers. You can actually change out an underlying layer, if you think about what the layers are in Linux, they're just overlay FS layers, right? You can change one below, it's totally fine. If you do it in a way that's incompatible with an upper layer, well, then you've got problems. But the build pack team has realized that they can apply security updates transparently to a, to an existing build pack, which is interesting. Mm, that's really cool. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That's really cool, actually. Mm. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff, if only it was adopted, right? Um, but again, right. still, build packs have the same problem we just talked about. They're great for the 80%, bad for the 20%. Mm-hmm. But this is exactly where I think something like Nix has a lot of potential. Like Nix could have made Docker irrelevant and could have abstracted away the things that we think of uh, in a production Docker file. Could You could have just listed your dependencies in uh, a manifest and your application would run within there. Maybe there would be a stronger contract about how your application runs because build packs were that way. Build packs were 12-factor, right? Could have had that same 12-factor contract, but allowing you to very easily specify all the dependencies that you might need. It could have been really interesting. But, I mean, in reality, nobody's doing anything other than Docker, right? There's, There's no significant competing technology than crafting a Docker file by hand. Yeah. Well, publicly, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Behind closed doors, yes. And I think I think that is slowly changing. But I'm 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 so I have so many thoughts running uh, through my head right now. I see the potential in Nix, and this is slightly awkward because this episode we are recording it before another one, which will come out early. So. I'll have to tell you something that hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> let's imagine that. Can, can you just mute the microphone and just tell me? Could you do that? <laughs> well, we could edit it out, but I think it, it just makes sense for this like to flow in the conversation. So I think, I think it's okay to leave it as is. The episode before this one is the one with Alex Sirachi. We're talking about base. We're talking about concourse. We're talking about the CI/CD and how that applies to... What's base? Uh, the base language. Um, it's his fun project. Baselang.org. Oh I know <laughs> he's building a Lisp-inspired language for automation. It's using Nix in some parts, but it's also using base uh, bass-lang.org. Yeah, B A S E Lang. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, B A S E. Yeah, sorry, B A S E. 
So yeah, so that's that's the episode before this one. And so when you were talking about Docker and the Docker files and all that, it just made me think about this because I think I think it's all relevant. And the fact that you didn't know, by the way, you didn't know for sure yeah, <laughs> that this, this that, that that this was happening. Uh, I see the correlation between CI/CD and the role that it can play. And I don't mean CI/CD like GitHub Actions. I, I don't mean that. I mean CI/CD in the sense of well, I'm going to mention the D word. It's not Docker. It's the other one. It's Dagger. <laughs> okay, so it's Dagger and uh, Base and Nix. I'm starting to see a thread between them. And I see the language, the importance of the language, which, by the way, it's not Docker files. It's not that. We tried it. It has serious limitations. We couldn't work around them in all the years that, you know, we've been trying to, to do something about it. And we think, we well, we started with Q because that's what we're using a Dagger to basically instruct all like basically capture all the things that need to happen to produce those artifacts because that's what it is it's just instructions today to build kit tomorrow who knows but there's this concept of automating the build and also the deployment because it's all about like automation right you want you don't want to be installing tools locally to be controlling i don't know aws or terraform or whatever you want to consume images which are pre-built secured with all things in them to just do the actions that you want to do. And if you use Yarn, you shouldn't really care what goes into like the Yarn packaging. The Yarn package should have that built in. If you're using Mix, if you're using Elixir or Ruby, RubyGems, a bundler, whatever it is these days, you shouldn't care. So it's it's a bit of build packs, a bit of Dockerfile, a bit of CI/CD, add an amazing cache. And that is the future that I'm thinking about. So what do you do for CI/CD these days and how do you see that link to Kubernetes? Because there is one for sure. And I think we are yes. finding its edges and it's something which I'm fascinated by. So what actually James McShane, uh, who was the author of that blog post that you talked about before, he was a contributor to Tekton uh, for a long time. I think he's still active in the Tekton community. And I view Tekton as the spiritual successor to Concourse. For those of you who don't know, we've, been, we've mentioned Concourse a few times, right? Concourse came out of Alex Sirachi's work with Cloud Foundry, and it was very focused on solving a problem for our relatively large number of application development teams, right? Mm-hmm. We were building essentially a microservice architecture that would ship in a box in Concourse which I like to call now like a workflow engine as opposed to a CI/CD system because it's really just takes action on any any trigger and and then it can produce new things on the other side. And the cool thing about that is you just said the engine word. Unbelievable. <laughs> Dagger is an engine from the future. And it is like wow, man, like oh, like I cannot make this up. <laughs> you said it and I cannot believe it because like like conversations with different people are coming together in ways, again, this is like you're listening uh, to this a month after it was recorded, at least a month, by the way, you will have heard the Alex interview, which hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and it's amazing <laughs> how these things are just coming together in ways, not to mention the conversations which we're having with Solomon and Andrea and Sam, like all like the the, the Docker founders, the Dagger founders. Um, I mean, it's just just crazy. It's crazy. Okay, but, but please continue. <laughs> I love Alex. I think he's one of the one of the top three developers I've ever met in my life. He is just phenomenal. He's a very empathetic person. He's, he's just a wonderful person, wonderful, wonderful human in general, right? And Concourse was visionary. The way that Concourse was designed, the, his ability to 
to cut right through a problem and get to the fundamentals and build essentially a toolkit that had so much more potential than anything we would have built by committee, right? It was really beautiful. The problem is that Concourse, it's totally showing its age. It's not Kubernetes native. It's uh, last I checked, and maybe this has changed now, it did not use Docker under the hood, which means it behaved a little weirdly, like entry points were not respected and things like that. There's a lot of pain now in using Concourse. If you were going to use a workflow engine now, it would be something like Tecton instead. But even Tecton, I have keep looking at all these existing CI systems, all these workflow engine-like systems, and they all suffer from a lack of usability. They're, they're all like very focused, kind of like Kubernetes, on being building blocks, and maybe you're supposed to build something on top of them. I'm waiting for something to come out that is much more usable, still very GitOps friendly. You define the pipeline in Git and such, but is much easier to use, has a bunch of stuff built in. I'm waiting for that to happen. I'm working on it, Tamar. Seriously, I'm working on it. No <laughs> joke. Very excited, Garrett. I'm very it's excited. Be, it's been seven months. <laughs> it's a hard problem. Okay. Me and a bunch of very smart people are still on this thing. Yep. Yep. Now, in the wild, though, you ask, like, what are we seeing people use for CI systems? I, I hate to say it, but like GitHub Actions and GitLab runners are really taking over. And, and I think it's a little bit unfortunate. I think there's some really great aspects of, of both those systems. And I, and I understand why they became so popular when you compare them to other strict CI systems. But the power of something like Concourse it's almost a replacement for actual application code. I mean, it's like you could build a concourse. When I, when Alex first created concourse, I tried to convince him that we should not label it a CI system. We should position it as a competitor to AWS Lambda because I felt that it could be. And you're telling me that you're not a good product person. <laughs> no, that is genius. I don't <laughs> like know. You're not seeing it. I don't, okay, I don't well. know a lot of people who actually use Lambda in anger. <laughs> I think you're just being humble. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I think you're just downplaying it. But that's a great move, by the way. I think there's a lot of potential for something like that. I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, yes. No, it is for sure. It is for sure. And it's coming back. The great ideas will be circular. They will keep yes. coming back until someone makes them happen. <laughs> They'll keep Seriously. knocking until somebody opens that door. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And is willing to put up with the mess that this space is, because it is a mess, powers through, figures the DX, figures the interactions, the integration points, figures the community out. There's so many aspects to, to this. And we may fail, I may fail, but oh man, I'm going to try so hard. <laughs> it's worth trying. It's worth it. One it's, of it's these days, Nick's will win. <laughs> well, Nick's is in the mix in, <laughs> in, a, in, a very, <laughs> in a very unexpected way, <laughs> but it, it is there. It is there. And I really like what you mentioned about Alex, because I see the same, there, there is an element of genius. There's no other way that I can put this Yes. in baseline. I'm seeing it like like the thongs. Okay, it, it is a bit like, you know, like I think uh, almost like the next level. Like you don't know what you're looking at, but you're looking at a spaceship. And like yeah. you don't know because people have never seen a spaceship. <laughs> like what's where's the door? Where's 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 the where's the exhaust? So so base baseline is basically first contact for uh, us mere mortal developers. Right. Exactly. And Alex is the emissary. <laughs> I don't know which planet he comes from, but <laughs> 
that's what I see too. And uh, so I know who the other developer is. It's me, of course. Uh, what about the third one? Because he said like three, like Alex is one of the top three. <laughs> no, seriously, who are the other two? <laughs> I want to know, in your opinion. Dimitri from from Bosch is one of the one of the top developers that I've ever known. Um, he he definitely fits into that where he yep. And Dimitri is less of a kind of the architectural genius that Alex is. I mean, Alex is almost like a scientist with the way that he approaches problems. Dimitri is the prolific hacker. You put Dimitri on a problem and he will uh, solve that problem. I mean, I hate that term 10x developer, but he will solve that problem so much faster than anybody else you can put on it. The problem is, mm -hmm. yeah, Dimitri will, will tell you himself that he leaves some wreckage behind. And so you usually put a team in behind him to sweep. Oh, yes. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it, yeah. A team of sweepers, 10 sweepers behind him. <laughs> 10. Dimitri is the definition of properly used technical debt, mm -hmm. right? If you're a startup and you... Uh, need to solve a problem as fast as possible. And if you fail, you just go bankrupt, right? So you don't care about the technical debt. Uh, that'll be solved after your first round of funding, right? Then you want somebody like Dimitri there to just to get the proof out, you know? Okay. I'm going to open that door. Seriously. YTTK app. I want to know what he was thinking. <laughs> uh, Bosch. Uh, yeah. I think he was on it for, yeah. I thought YTT was actually really good compared to everything else that existed. If you would put Alex Sirachi on the, well, you get baselang, right? If you put Alex on the problem of YAML is difficult, like how do we make this, how do we allow configuration to be, um, you know, easier to use and more extendable and such and less redundant, mm -hmm. Alex will create something like baselang and Dimitri will create something like YTT. YTT gets the job done. It gets it done really well. It's so much better than JSONet and KSONet and all those. Oh, yes. But, mm. uh, but I'm sure that something like Baselang solves many more problems at the same time, right? And just like Q solves many more problems at the same time. Yeah, that's a good one. And number three, I haven't forgotten. It's not me. I know well, of it's not me. It's yourself. It's yourself. What, no, what are you no, talking really. about? You weren't number three, Gerhard. You were number one. You were number one, baby. Always will be. Oh, man. My ego's exploding right now. <laughs> Seriously. No, I, um, I, I'm not going to name a number three. I, I okay. mean, there's been a bunch of other developers I've worked with who are just like phenomenal. And I'm going to let each one of them believe that they're number three so that nobody's. That. Wow, uh, man, that's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody's heart is broken <laughs> i like it okay so it could be anyone okay cool could be anyone it could be you dear reader yes dear listener dear listener yes it could be you if you worked with tamar it could be you i know that's that's it of course if you worked with me it probably is you right you're number three of course. and maybe you're still working with him by the way it doesn't exclude presidents <laughs> oh god you're causing me so many problems <laughs> yeah Maybe shade. Nobody knows. <laughs> it, could be, it could be all of us. I mean, yeah. oh, my next one on ones they're going to be so difficult. <laughs> uh, 
This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. With the launch of their Code Insights product, teams can now track what really matters in their code base. Code Insights instantly transforms your code base into a queryable database to create visual dashboards in seconds. And I'm here with Joel Kortler, the product manager of Code Insights for Sourcegraph. Joel, the way teams can use Code Insights seems to pretty much be limitless, but a particular problem every engineering team has is tracking versions of languages or packages. How big of a deal is it actually to track versions for teams. Yeah, it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. The first is, of course, just compatibility. You don't want things to break when you're testing locally or to break on your CI systems or test systems. You need to have some sort of level of like version unification and minimum version support, and all of that needs to be you know, compatible forward. But the other thing we learned was that for a lot of customers, especially you know, engineering organizations that are pretty established, they have older versions of things or even older versions of like SaaS tools they don't use anymore that they haven't fully removed because they're like not sure if it's still in use or they you know lost focus on that. And they're spinning up old old virtual machines that they're still paying for. Or they're using, you know, old SaaS subscriptions they're afraid to cancel because they're not sure if anyone's actually using it. And so getting off of those versions not just like saves you the headaches and the risks and the vulnerabilities of being on old versions, but also literally the money of, you know, older systems running more slowly or the build times or, you know, virtual machines and SaaS tools that you're no longer using. Before you had this ability, we talked to teams, there are basically three ways you could do this. You could slack a million people and ask for just like an update point in time. You could have sort of one human and one spreadsheet where like it's somebody's job every Friday or every two weeks to just like search all the code and find all the versions and write it down in a Google sheet. Or there were a couple of companies that I came across with in-house systems that were sort of complicated. You had to know, you know, maybe Kotlin, but you didn't know Kotlin. But if you wanted to use the system, you had to learn Kotlin and you'd have to sort of build the whole world from scratch and run basically a tool like this with a pretty steep learning curve. And now for all three of those, you could replace it with a single line source graph search, which is basically just the name of the thing you're trying to track and the version string in the right format. And then we have templates that'll help you get started if you're not sure what that format is, and then it'll automatically track all the different versions for you, both historically. So even if you start using it today, you can see your historical patterns. And then of course, going forward. Very cool. Thank you, Joel. So right now there is a treasure trove of insights just waiting for you living inside your code base right now. Teams are tracking migrations, adoption, deprecations. They're detecting and tracking versions of languages and packages. They're removing or ensuring the removal of security vulnerabilities. They understand their code by team. They can track their code smells and health, and they can visualize configurations and services and so much more with Code Insights. A good next step is to go to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. See how other teams are using this awesome feature. Again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link is in the show notes. And by Flatfile, the leading data onboarding platform for teams who don't want to build yet another CSV uploader. Think of the last time you had to import data from a spreadsheet. You probably got some weird errors. You had to try a bunch of things like removing blank titles from rows and column headers. You probably had to find and replace special characters. You might even had to reach for Google to remind yourself yet again how to save with UTF-8 encoding. Here's the thing. You're just trying to get your file where it needs to go so you can do the thing you're trying to do in the first place. And your customers run into this same issue when it matters most right after signing up for your product and getting started. The thing you're building, the product, is brought to life by data, your customer's data, the data they recognize, and every minute they spend trying to fix a spreadsheet, just like you were doing, is one minute less seeing the magic of the product, the thing you're building, the thing they just bought, and they're so excited to use. 
Now, companies of all sizes struggle with this issue. They don't realize that there's a solution out there and they've accepted this as par for the course, optimizing for other ways to improve the customer experience. Some go as far as creating downloadable CSV templates and building their own in-house file importer. Then they send their customers to a lengthy knowledge-based article on how to use it and it just circumvents the entire process of getting started. Enter FlatFile. FlatFile is the data onboarding platform built to take the acute pain out of importing customer data into your product. With FlatFile, your product's experience is world-class on day one. It's built to handle everything from data mapping, field validation, and is meticulously designed to blend right into your platform. It turns a frustrating process for everyone into a delightful first experience for your customers. FlatFile is SOC 2 Type 1 and Type 2 certified, GDPR compliant, and even HIPAA compliant. This ensures no matter where customers are in the world, they're sharing data securely and in compliance every step of the way. The next step is to learn more and check them out at flatfile.com. Again, flatfile.com. So we talked about this idea of the cool wall of cloud native before the episode. For those that don't know, I love Top Gear. My son, he's 12 years old, uh, he loves Top Gear. He grew up with Top Gear. A Top Gear is a TV car show presented by Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond and James May. Now you are watching it on Amazon Prime, you know it as Grand Tour. Uh, we still watch it. 10 years later, and it's still amazing. Thereabouts, whatever, like almost a decade. And they have this concept of the cool wall where they go through some cars. It was introduced in season one, Top Gear season one. They go through some cars and they decide in which four categories does the car go. Is it a seriously uncool car? Is it an uncool car, cool or sub-zero cool? And I'm thinking, how about we pick a few projects from the CNC of landscape and figure out which of the four categories they fit in. I love it. So the first one, again, it has to be Kubernetes. Which, <laughs> where do we think it fits? Is it seriously uncool? Is it uncool, cool, or sub-zero cool? Where do we think Kubernetes fits, Tamar? And I'll let you go first. Man, I just, I want to say like, I don't know, it's like, it is the wall, right? But, uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like it. I think Kubernetes is definitely in the cool side. I mean, there there are it's not sub-zero, right? It's not the best thing ever, but mm. it is laying the bedrock for so much innovation. And it's the first time, not the first time. Innovation goes back and forth coming from the community, coming from enterprise, but let's be honest. Enterprise teams, enterprise IT teams, infrastructure teams, they usually get starved on the innovation front. They're usually the ones who are wishing they get to play with all the stuff that the community is playing with. Kubernetes is one of those times when they got a chance and it really affected them in a massive way, right? The Kubernetes is innovating, starting with the enterprise. And I think that's great because they're underserved. You know, they've got all the money, but but they're underserved. So cool. I'm going to put it in cool. What do you think? I think it's right in the middle. I think it's right in between uncool and cool because it's starting to become this boring technology. It's really mature. It's been around for a long time. I think it reached peak maturity. If Boeing is using it, if Mercedes-Benz is using it, and the big companies are using it for some important mission-critical stuff, Yeah, I think that Kubernetes is... Uncool because it has to be. 
It has to be something that is table stakes. Everyone has Kubernetes these days. And I think it's right there in the middle. Yeah, you wouldn't say that Linux is in the cool column anymore. Linux is now in the, eh, whatever, boring, right? Boring, that's a good one. Maybe we need to change the columns. Anyways, let's just see. <laughs> I think it's right in the middle there. Um, so <laughs> we put it in the middle for now and we move on. What other project would you like to pick next? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one that I think is going to be controversial. So let's go with the open policy a agent. So, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> the thing that they killed PSPs for. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. And I, if, I, if I remember correctly, the way that the cool wall actually worked in the TV show is mm -hmm. one of the hosts was much taller than the other, right? And so if there was an extreme disagreement, that host could just take the card and put it up at the top and the other person couldn't reach it, right? I don't remember who's taller, me or you. It's been too many years <laughs> since we've been all in this, both in the same room. And I think I have longer arms, <laughs> but I think that you're, <laughs> if I remember correctly, because when I would, would play table tennis, <laughs> I could reach further, I think. That's what it's I true, remember. <laughs> but I think you're slightly taller than me, so I, I don't know. So OPA, OPA, where would you put it? I, I would say uncool towards seriously uncool. Why is that? Because it's so damn difficult. Like whenever I think OPA... Yes. Okay, it's not controversial. All right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, oh my goodness me, where do I start? Do I really need this thing? Maybe not. It's, it's not something that they want. Why, why do they have to invent a whole new language for this thing? Why? why? You, really, do you need Rego for this? this no. And, and, you know, just to, to double down on this statement, Kiverno. So if you're, if you're, dear listener, if you're considering integrating OPA with your cluster, highly recommend you look at Keyverno instead. Mm. So much better implementation, so much simpler to use. The only problem is that Keyverno only works with Kubernetes. And if you're using Rego as a configuration language, like the OPA and things can work with, mm. uh, you know, your Terraform as well. But Keyverno is so much simpler, so much nicer. So I'd put that in the cool section. Yeah, that's a good one. So what would you use Keyverno for? I've heard the name. I know roughly what it does, but I'm always hazy on the details. Well, so you would use it in the same way you would use OPA, which is it acts as a easily configurable validating admission webhook. If you want to say mm -hmm. that all pods, I don't know, all pods have to have a uh, pod topology constraint in order to, to be deployed to the production cluster, right? Then you would use Keyverno to or OPA to enforce that at the at the API layer. So if anybody tries to create an object that doesn't conform to whatever that policy is, then it gets rejected. Now, one of the, the problems that we see with all this policy enforcement stuff, both at the API layer and also with like network policies and things like that, is that validating these highly complicated policies. There's no good tool for that, right? There's no good tool for you to have trust mm -hmm. that your complicated policies, and they get really complicated the bigger they get, especially on the networking side, uh, that they're actually working the way. So there's no like uh, test-driven development for your policies, right? Yeah. Um, and just to drop a little, little hint for the listeners, we, we're actually working on a product right now that will solve that problem and make super orbital into a unicorn i'm sure of it right decacorn what do they call them nowadays decacorn i'm pretty <laughs> sure uh three commas <laughs> the three comma club <laughs> tres commas whatever okay so what's your what's your next technology let's put another card on there all right my next one my next one um well um <laughs> i know exactly where this one goes for me that's why i'm going to mention it 
All right. Argo CD. Oh, well, okay. So when we were thinking about the columns, Mm -hmm. I was thinking of useful and less useful, right? But you're kind of saying, okay, cool is kind of like hip. So in the same way that Kubernetes is moving down the, the stack towards like boring, Argo CD is kind of becoming just the thing you do, right? There's no strong competitor anymore to Argo CD. So I'm going to put that in the, what was it, the, the boring column? Is that what we got now? I think the boring one, yeah. I think we changed the uncool to the boring one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And seriously, uncool, it's like maybe less than boring. It's just like something that you maybe you wouldn't use. Something that, you know, is like too difficult if I was chatting up somebody at a bar, you know, trying to trying to make something happen, I would not bring up Argo CD, right? That would be like, oh, that's not that's not interesting at all, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I understand it perspective, but for me, the UI makes it sub-zero cool. It's like if you want to see what happens in your Kubernetes cluster, like if you want to see that that visual, it's almost that visibility. Exactly. You need to have Argo CD, and like a bunch of things start like light bulbs multiple light bars, like a Christmas tree, goes off in your head when you realize what is actually happening in Kubernetes, in your Kubernetes cluster. What are all the workloads? How do they change state? How it syncs with a Git repository? I think like you have to have it. It's it's incredibly useful. Like I said, it's table stakes now, right? That's why the EKS blueprints that AWS put out, mm-hmm. they install Argo CD as the one and only thing that they put into the cluster, right? And, and this goes back to Kubernetes being a polished and mature product because the core team did not build in Argo CD. You can imagine if, if any other team was building something like Kubernetes, they would say, well, we need a better way of putting things into the cluster and a better way of giving visibility to people of what's, how the cluster is operating and, and you know, how all your workloads are behaving. So they would build something like Argo CD into the core product. That's a mistake, right? Kubernetes core team recognized that and they they didn't, which is great. Yeah. And I have seen something similar attempted before, uh, a specific system which I tried and used product, Octant. And Octant, it was great as a first experience, like um, Brian Lyle, he created it to just visualize what is happening in Kubernetes, nice UI. But once the initial wildness wore off for me, I didn't see it like that that valuable or that useful anymore. Argo CD is something that keeps on delivering even after you get past the dashboard. Is the whole GitOps model, it's like just how it synchronizes. There's something there which I haven't seen with Octant. And I'm sure there's a few others that you can think of. Yeah, like Lens or even K9S. Like yes. all of those are that's what I was saying before about providing a new visualization of the existing Kubernetes objects is not that interesting, right? That's just a dashboard. If I like uh, visual representations, it's useful, but it's not at all game-changing. And so if you're going to build a platform on top of Kubernetes, and this is the thing that we have not seen done yet, you need to focus on the entire application as a whole, right? You're not delivering deployments and pods. That's not what application developers are thinking about. They're thinking about their entire microservice architecture and how it integrates with external APIs and all the databases that it uses and all that kind of stuff. That's one big chunk of deliverability. I don't know. That's how it has to be focused. It has to be focused on the app, not the infrastructure. And all these dashboards like Octant and Lens and K9S, they're they're all focused on just the Kubernetes primitives. It's not that... uh, 
not that interesting. I don't know. The nerd in me is missing the fact that ChangeLog isn't running on Kubernetes. I have like a huge, <laughs> how do you call it? Like, uh, when you miss something, you're like missing out on something. There's like a syndrome. Uh, it's not FOMO. <laughs> well, maybe it is FOMO. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm like the fear of missing out on all the cool things in the Kubernetes and the and the CNCF landscape because I'm no longer using Kubernetes. It's almost like I need an excuse to use it again, just like to stay connected to all those cool technologies, like to be able to try Caverno, to try like all the new stuff that 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 is coming out. Um, maybe not so much like on the. Um, when things go wrong, you know, it's it can be quite quite challenging to figure out what the hell is going on because it's a really complex system. And I think that just goes back to the platform. If there was a platform built on top of Kubernetes to simplify this, to just like, you know, figure out like a bunch of things so you can get that, I think that would be really useful because there's like a whole ecosystem that you're missing out on if you don't use Kubernetes. And while you can use many of the tools outside, I think they make less sense. And I think that's why, coming back to your comment, Hammer, Kubernetes is the board. Yes. Everything happens on Kubernetes. And if you don't have it, well, Terraform and VMs, it is for you. That's our cloud formation. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> I mean, Terraform is, it's the ubiquitous substrate. It has changed, and it is still in the process of changing what it means to be on the cloud. And that's the beauty of it. That's the legs for the board. The board yes, has exactly. to, or, or the wall on which you hang the board, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I got one now. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. How about crossplane? What do you think of crossplane? Ah, that's a good one. I had it on my list. I was thinking about it actually. Like <laughs> I wanted to mention it. Yeah, you did. Okay. Well, I think we can make this the last one because it's a very, very interesting one. So, crossplane. I really liked it when it came out. I really liked using it with TerraJet, which is Terraform in Crossplane. Um, episode 33, we even tried it to uh, lay down our LKE cluster. I think there's something about compositions which makes it difficult. I was never able to get past that point. There's a lot of YAML that you have to go through to understand how compositions work. And I think at some point it's becoming too meta, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I feel the same way when, when I was playing with I had exactly the same experience. The compositions were just a little too a little too brain bending, a little a little too hard to actually juggle in a in a real situation. Yeah. But the idea behind it is still it's it's still a super cool uh, yeah sub zero idea sub zero yeah. cool wow okay yeah sub zero idea mm. and then a uh, uh, what are the other categories seriously uncool uncool cool and sub zero cool sub zero idea and a maybe even seriously uncool implementation unfortunately but the idea that the Kubernetes API is the real value of Kubernetes. It is, we teach this in our workshops. We, we, we really hammer this home with students that like, even if you're not dealing with containers, the immutable, declarative, uh, incredibly predictable, idempotent API that is Kubernetes is fantastic. And you can use that, you can leverage that to provision things outside the cluster. There's even a project, it's not coming to me right now, but there's a name, there's a project that, is just the Kubernetes API without the scheduler and without all the built-in resource types. 
I know what you mean. I'm forgetting the name. I know what you mean. I'll I'll try to put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And I mean, it's just a, it's a proof of concept. Like nobody's actually using that project for anything, but it shows that even without the domain, just the bare structure of the Kubernetes API is a fantastic API for all kinds of workloads, all kinds of operational tasks. Mm -hmm. And things like Crossplane are trying to leverage that API to allow for you to provision things outside the cluster. And it could be really cool. Just not, not the right implementation yet. Yep. I like that. I like that. I can get behind that for sure. Okay. We have time for one more bombshell. Do you want to go deliver it or shall I? <laughs> we, need, we need to you go, go to the Top Gear theme. <laughs> All right. So in the previous episode, we had Alex Arachi talking about concourse, talking about base. Again, this is in the future, from the future. It's very confusing because we're recording this before that other episode, which is coming out before it. And you're going to predict what he's about to say. Yes. Exactly. That's That makes it very, very challenging. So, um, <laughs> And I see Alex as the builder, definitely the builder. And then I always saw you as not the product person because you clearly like you, you don't enjoy it. Like I think I think you're good at it, but I don't think you enjoy it as much as uh, other things. But I see you uh, like like the planner in a lot of ways because you see how kind of like the big items how they kind of fit together, and you start seeing like the trends and and you see like what makes sense and what doesn't. Do do you see yourself the same way, or or is it just me? Well, I, I'm very flattered by that to start off. Uh, I never have had confidence in my ability to predict wider trends. I've actually felt that Alex was a little, well, well was a lot better than myself at that. Mm. Some of my skills are around just in general planning, right? And just looking at a project and understanding and making myself into a project manager here, but looking at something that needs to be done and being able to break it down and, you know, like... You're actually a PM when he said two thumbs, so you're a PM. (laughs) I forgot about that. But my superpower is is worrying. (laughs) So this is why, like... Chief worrier. I was a really good operations person. Yeah, I I always worried about the edge cases, right? And when when I code, I code slowly because I'm always worried about not only bugs, but like what use case am I not thinking about that's going to break down? And so, yeah, when when I'm working on a project with other developers, mm-hmm. part of my role that I end up taking on is just the, yeah, but what about person, right? So I'm always the person saying like, oh, we got to worry about this one thing. Let's not forget that because that's actually important, you know? Yeah. And the thing that I've had to learn and and it's been transformative for me, the thing I've had to learn is when to recognize a risk and be able to say, but I'm not worried about it. It's okay. Like, we'll hit that later. That, that, that is a deferrable problem, right? I don't need to worry about that now. And if you do that nine times out of 10, then that one problem that you actually did need to solve right now, mm-hmm. that's the one that you, that you fix right off the bat. Yeah, that's a good one. I always noticed that you had good instincts. And because I have seen the long term with you, I've seen where we've gone with Kubernetes, like remember Cloud Foundry, the potential, what it could have been, it wasn't, that's okay, you know, it happens, concourse, uh, Kubernetes now, and superorbital, where it's going, some of the people that, you know, like you, you just go on instinct. 
And I think a planner needs to have that because you need to understand how those big pieces, some of them are people, by the way, fit together. Yes. And, and, and we have been hashtag blessed. We have had so many amazing people uh, working with us and who, who, uh, who we're talking about hiring right now who want to work with us. So I've been very lucky in that regard. Yeah, I, I, see, I see the same way. So the bombshell is that these three episodes are connected. The third one is the visionary. Um, I cannot say who is going to be in this episode. It will need to be. It will need to be a surprise. But it's someone that connects everything together. It's all linked. Tamer, Alex, this other person. It's all linked, and I'm so looking forward to that. That is the bombshell. I have a guess. You can't say Tamer. You can't say. I'm not, not going to say it. But I have a guess. I'll like shoot you an email okay, after to see if yes. I can figure it out afterwards. Yes, <laughs> let's do that afterwards. <laughs> let's not spoil the surprise. I'm thinking we need to do this again for Jared's birthday because I know that he enjoys this conversation so much. <laughs> but maybe, maybe also in six months' time, maybe. Let's let's see that would be wonderful. what the future story holds. But I'm enjoying this so much. Thank you very much for today. I, I, I have so much fun, Gerhard. You make this so much fun every time. Thank Always. you. Always. Thank you very much. <laughs> it takes two. It takes two, at least. <laughs> All right, Tamar. See you next time. Thank you very much. See you. Bye. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Ship It. Check out our other podcasts for developers at changelog.com slash master. You can connect with like-minded developers via changelog.com slash community. Thank you Fastly for the worldwide low latency changelog.com. Our listeners love those blazing fast MP3s. The Firecracker VMs and the WireGuard integration is really sweet. Fly the dial. That's it for this week. See you all next week. The next episode is the grand finale in this three-episode miniseries. All three guests were former pivots. And since you already know that every 11th Ship It episode is special, the next one is going to be a first from many perspectives. The only thing that I can share is that you should do what works, keep it simple, and be kind. <laughs>